it's the ability to be aware of what your feelings or emotions in the moment yeah and then use that emotion to manage you and other people how do you find the courage to try can you distill the clarity to start what drives real commitment to keep going let's deconstruct complexity and make it simple let's learn how to take action and make progress i'm pete seligman and this is the next step Welcome to the Next Step Podcast. My name's Pete Seligman. I'm here with Ush Danak and we're going to talk about EQ, which is something that I think is inherently has always been important and probably something that maybe even hundreds and hundreds of years ago we were better at than what we are today even because we're more reliant on it than what we think we need to be right now. Um, but definitely in a corporate and in a business environment, it's something that people don't spend enough time thinking about, which is kind of where yeah. your initiatives are launching. And also keen to talk about, a little touch on the kind of school environments you've yes. been in recently and things like that too, because it happens at every stage of life. But to kick things off, mm. can you just give us a bit of a background on you and a yeah, bit about sure. how you got to this point and then we'll kind of move into Yes, the, the so details. I think I still sound a bit pommy, right? <laughs> <laughs> so originally from London uh, and then been in Sydney for about 15 years. And my background is actually corporate, so a lawyer and barrister in the UK and then moved out to Australia, worked in a couple of law firms for a few years, found it to be extremely low EQ environment. <laughs> we'll come back to that. Yeah. <laughs> then got into HR, which I just wanted that whole people connection sort of really fitted in with me and who I am. And then ran HR teams as head of HR for about 10 years. And then I had that thing, you know, when you have a, a defining moment that wants you to start your own business and my defining moment was I wanted to go home to London to see my family, haven't seen them for years, and my leave got rejected at work because it was a busy time. Oh, and it was yeah. just that, wow, like someone has that much control over yeah. my life that I couldn't even get on a plane to go see my parents. And then I remember going home that night going, stuff that, I'm just going to set my own yeah. business and I never want to have to ask anyone for leave. It was just this really yeah. moment I remember. Yeah. And then that started off me um, setting up my own HR consultancy business. So did that. And then you might know this, but like every Tom, Dick and Harry is a HR consultant, right? (laughs) Like they're everywhere. So going out to get work, I was like, oh, I'm just like competing with every other person. Differentiation was tough. Yeah. Yeah. And then I thought, what can I add with HR that would be a nice complimentary fit that would give me a bit of a USP and a bit of an edge? I was like, all right, let me get a coach, try and work that out. And the coach that I found specialised in EQ. Mm. And I thought, oh, that's a pretty good fit with HR. Mm. And um, that led me to specialise in EQ. So I've been um, honing in on EQ for the last four years. Yeah, wow. And so can you describe a bit about, I mean, I think a lot of people kind of generally know IQ and EQ Mm. and one's brain and the other one's feelings Mm. and that kind of general split but yeah. what does it what does it really mean like what what is eq yeah so i, I won't give you the full definition but yeah. in a nutshell it's the ability to be aware of what your feelings or emotions in the moment yeah and then use that emotion to manage you and other people around you yeah, wow. so if you actually break that down it's that you know we've all done it we're in the moment we're just not aware of what we're thinking what we're feeling and then we react rather than respond to situations mm. And I've seen it with executives, I've seen it with bosses that I've had to report into. And now understanding EQ, I look back and go, you were so shit at EQ, you had like zero EQ. So what this is doing, it's making you self-reflect, I guess, and have 
a higher level of self-awareness about how you are. And once you understand yourself better, you can manage better relationships with other That's people. That's really so. When I asked that question, I didn't think you were going to give that response. And the main difference in what I was expecting yeah. is I thought you were going to say EQ is an ability to be aware of other people's emotions. No, it's yourself as well. Whereas what yeah. you're saying is that actually it starts with Has understanding your own emotions and then being able the to moment. use that understanding mm-hmm. to then relate better with other people. Yeah. That's really like, yeah, honestly, I my impression of, Whenever I thought about, okay, people always say, oh, that person's got really good EQ and all yeah. that kind of stuff. The only thing I ever thought about was that person's ability to understand someone else's mm. emotional state. Mm. But you're right, it has a massive impact to be able to understand what your own emotions are at that point. Yeah, and if you've got a better understanding of you, so it's, it's not the cliched strengths and weaknesses awareness. Yeah. It's more of an awareness of what triggers you. And I think yeah, that's yeah. really, really crucial. Like, we all have certain triggers. I know mine slow drivers, like, you know, uh, or people walking on the wrong side of the escalators and just, you know, random yep. things. And then it, it really fires us up, right? You know now, what what the, the, so coming from the UK, how do you find that here? Because people stand oh, on the wrong side of the escalator. It's clearly. a trigger. Because in trigger. London, you stand on the right. Yeah, yeah and here, that's you right. stand on the, the left. So. Yeah. 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 So I think it's that whole self-awareness piece of what fires you up. Mm. And then once you understand what fires you up, it's being able to check in in that moment that you're fired up to go, how am I now going to respond to this? Yeah. And that's what business owners sometimes forget. Yeah. And especially when there's overwhelm, there's people, there's other stakeholders, there's lots going on. EQ is the last thing we think of. Yeah. Are there, are there kind of common sets of triggers and you kind of say, oh, these are the kind of people that typically triggered by that and other people are typically triggered by that or is it quite a kind of bespoke kind of situation yeah it's bespoke and it's also to do with our paradigms as well right so like certain things are gonna make us react a bit more for example when i just said to you earlier that someone denying my leave Mm. that massive trigger for me to quit my job yes so whereas for you you might go oh yeah whatever i'll just book it in for the next two weeks yeah so it's it's our upbringing it's our paradigms it's, it's a whole host of things. Yeah. And then it's also dependent on how we feel on the day as well, mm. to be honest. So if we've had a rough time, we've got some stuff going on at home, our triggers might be a bit off kilter. Different. And yeah. if you've got higher self-awareness, then you sort of know that. Yeah. 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 And so what's been your approach to kind of starting down that path in the corporate sphere? So I guess what I mean by that is, so you're looking at ways of improving or helping others to improve the balance of EQ mm. for themselves and in their organisation, mm. which then has the flow-on effect of improved kind of culture, performance, all those other things. What's the method that you use to do that? Like, how do you engage? Yeah. So I obviously connect with leaders and executives, and there's so much leadership training and coaching around mm. at the moment. It's like really... You know, influx of everyone's a coach at the moment. Like, mm. have you noticed that? Yes, everyone's a coach. Absolutely. And they're just well, and there's up. there's a thousand different tools as well yes. to, to be used. Yeah. yeah. So I, I find that a lot of them are leadership, right? Yeah. And then you actually drill down and go, but what what does that mean? Like, what are you coming into my business to teach me? Yeah. Like, how to be a better leader. So with my EQ coaching and training, it's it's really getting them to understand how raising your awareness is going to affect your bottom line mm-hmm. like a lot of people go oh you know eq's fluff eq's mm-hmm. emotions eq's just warm and fuzzy it's mm-hmm. really not 
So, for example, let's say, because um, I obviously got the HR background, you know, I get lots of clients saying, oh, you know, I want to get rid of this person. Mm. I'm like, oh, why? And they say, oh, they're just not a cultural fit. Yeah. And I'm like, really? I'm like, show me their last performance review. Yeah. And in their last performance review, tick, you're amazing, you're performing. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah. hang on a minute. This person's performing and you're getting me to get rid of them. Yeah. Why? Oh, Ush, they're just, you know, it's just certain things. They're not a good people person. They get quite short with things. They're, they're not a team player. Like, yeah. We hear all this stuff. And I'm like, that's lack of EQ. Yeah. So really skilled and qualified execs or senior leaders are being exited out of the business. And what they're doing is they're going to your competitors yeah. with all that knowledge. But no one's actually going, well, we really want them here because they are really good from a technical point of view. But no one's really working on some of that emotional side with them. Yeah. So I try and go in with, with into corporates and go, that's the stuff I can help you with. Yeah. You don't have to get rid of certain people because they lack behavioral self-control. Because interesting, so uh, like there's, I mean, I was talking to someone about it earlier, there's there's this whole concept of kind of hire for attitude and then train for aptitude and all mm. this kind of cultural fit testing and, you know, make sure you're attracting the right kind of person yeah. and get yeah. all that sort of thing. All of that approach and dialogue implies the fact that um, whether you, whether it's their EQ or their style or all those kinds of things, it implies that all those things are a fixed trait mm. and that you can train capability and skill set, but you can't train the other things. So if that doesn't fit, then it's not a fit. So yeah. therefore you remove the fit. Yeah. But what you're saying is that there are certain elements of that where if it is a square peg in a round hole, you might be able to knock off some of those edges Absolutely. and there might be a fit. Yeah. 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 And it's interesting you say that about recruitment. Actually, a funny story, not funny story, a really good story is uh, this company hired me and said, oh, should we need to help to recruit for a CFO? So I'm like, okay, so he had literally two resumes in front of him. And on paper, right, on par, same sort of educational level, same sort of experience in other organisations, same size of businesses. So I said to him, all right, I said, how are you going to pick? And we hadn't interviewed them yet. We'd done like phone interviews and stuff. And they were coming in the next day. And he's like, I don't know. He goes, do you know what? He goes, I just want someone I can actually have a beer with as well. Yeah. And he goes, I want someone that's going to be really good with the numbers can also relate to me as a CEO yeah. is a mate I can yeah. get on because we need to work together yeah. so we had the interviews and I said to him can I throw a curly question at the end of the interview process and mm. he's like yeah for sure so the question I asked them both at the end was if you had to describe the colour yellow to someone that's blind how would you do it oh, yeah. and one of them was like really uncomfortable got quite like their back up like moved in the chair but why are you asking me that? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, well, what's that got to do with my ability to do this job? And yeah. you could tell they were really thrown yeah. and really thrown by that question. Yeah. And the other candidate literally lit up, massive smile on their face, yeah. started thinking and goes, oh, I would say that it's like the sun, it's warm. He sang a bit of a lyric to a song. <laughs> and, and the guy looked at me and he goes, okay, we just want to end that. And he goes, you're hired. Yeah. So it was literally that, that guy's ability to connect, to think outside of the box, to be creative, to be yeah. different, even though it was a, you know, a high-performing CFO, important role. Yeah. And yeah. that's what people are looking for. Yeah. And that's EQ. And so just say, to take that exact example, yeah. you ended up in a situation where 
So for example, in our business, quite often what happens is we will go and acquire other small businesses. Mm. Mm. And so actually you don't recruit that team, you, you take, them you on. take on that team, yeah. right? Um, and just say I'd taken on that team and I, and I had as the CFO the other guy that got shifty in his chair. Mm -hmm. How would you work with him to help him respond like the guy that did well? Yeah, I think... Do you know what I mean? Because yeah, that's, yeah. that's the essence of it, right? That's is the, that, that we yeah. can actually help people that struggle in those situations to become more aware and then... Yes. So how does that, how does yeah. that play So EQ is learned behavior, right? Yeah. So you can teach it to kids and you can... I train boards and people in their 70s. Who are just so, big kids anyway. Yeah, right? exactly. So, yeah. so it's definitely learned behavior and it all starts with that whole self-awareness piece. So, you know, what are your paradigms? How, why do you behave the way you behave? Like everyone's got a story to why they behave the way they behave. Yeah. So it's really tapping into why are they the way they are. Secondly, it's do you know what your blind spots are? Do you know how people perceive you when you behave yeah. this way? Yeah. Um, there's something called the Johari window, which, which basically says that we all have a side that we don't show others. Mm. Um, and then we have blind spots and then we have a side that everyone else sees. So it's getting them ready to take them through that Johari window process to go, what are your blind spots? And... What are you not seeing? And I remember this one guy that I was coaching and smart, really personable, but there was one thing he used to do. And it was when he was busy and overwhelmed and someone knocked on the door to see him, he'd take a deep breath and he'd get a bit like, like yeah. that before he responds. So people were like, we, you know, we, he's not really that approachable when he's busy because he, we feel like we're bothering him. Mm. But he had you know, that was a massive blind spot for him. And then once he found out, he's like, I didn't even know I did that. Like, you know, yeah, okay. did yeah. I really come across that way? Yeah. So it's just raising their awareness to some of their behaviors. Yeah, right. And do you find that that works well in one-on-one -on -one situations or do you do it in groups? Or how does the technique work best? Yeah, both. So my training is, um, I'm normally on site um, at the businesses with the leadership team once a month. And we run a session for about two hours, and in that two hours, it's one area of EQ. So it might be resilience, might be personal power, might be creativity. Oh, I see. Okay. So we teach them one area of EQ, yeah. and then they have that month to really hone in on it and practice it in the workplace. Um, and then they follow. I follow that up with one-on-one -on -one coaching in yeah. between, or it might be some video snippets that they get around that area to reinforce what they've learned. Because I imagine in a group, like having done not not necessarily EQ, but kind of. Um, um, psycho, uh, psychometrics and various other things. Yeah. When you do it in a group, then when you go away, you can talk to each other about it. You know, if yeah. you and I went into a group session, we're talking Absolutely. about EQ and we need to practice yeah. this, then the next day when we're kind of in a meeting, we can test each other on. Yeah. So I imagine that worked quite well Absolutely. in terms of reinforcement. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. yeah. And so from a leader's perspective, what are the things that they can do to encourage um I guess an improved approach to EQ in their businesses. Like, mm. what what do you see when you go into a business and you go, actually, the groundwork here is fantastic. Like, actually, everyone here is already doing really well. It's a matter of making it better, as yeah. opposed to, oh my goodness, this is yeah. terrible. Like, yeah. what do you think it is about those teams and those leaders mm. that puts them in a good stead? Yeah, I think it's picking, um, you know, some of those top competencies of EQ that we can sort of leverage. Uh, so one of the main ones is resilience. And I, and I find at the moment in businesses that we, we don't really embrace failure as much as we should. Mm. There's some still element of fear around failing, especially at the exec level, right? Yeah. 
So I think it's encouraging those leaders to go, it's okay if you don't know the answers, it's okay if you fail. Yeah. Show a bit of vulnerability and then learn from it and allow your team and create a safe space for them to fail and then learn. Yeah. So there's a lot of work in that space. And then at the back of that is personal power. So personal power is all about being able to speak your truth quietly and confidently without the ego. Yeah, okay. Um, and we find that one is, is, is stuff that people just don't get to do enough, where they didn't, you know, that little voice that they've got inside because other people aren't speaking up. So yeah. how do we encourage you to speak your truth? How do we encourage you to have your voice at the table yeah. um, or with your peers? Yeah. Um, but without the ego. Yeah, right. And so the resilience one I think is really interesting because I, I completely agree on the failure thing. There's a lot of people that are unwilling to try and fail, but also there are lots and lots of people who hate talking about their past failures, yeah. even though actually their past failures are really good ways of describing how strong they are today. Yeah. Do you know what yeah. I mean? So what, like are there particular kind of techniques or kind of processes that people go through or kind of structures or frameworks that teams can use to improve that culture I or think improve that environment so people are yeah. more willing? Like so it's, it's really just about communication. So as a leader, you can look at failure in two ways. You can look at it as something that's shameful mm. or as a leader, you can go, if I'm going to share my failure, someone else may not make that same mistake. So you're reframing the attitude of that perceived failure. Yeah. into a learning for someone else. So if you can get the leader to understand that by sharing that, you're helping someone else as opposed to the spotlight being shone on your imperfections, yes. then that enables them to start conversations. And one of the things that I've, a technique I've used in the past is something called mad, sad, glad. And what that does is at the team meetings, everyone goes around and goes, what's, made, what's one thing that's made you really mad? Yeah. What's one thing that's made you sad? And what's one thing that's made you glad? Oh, okay. So it's, it's starting that communication rather than, you know, if you've got a culture that doesn't embrace failure, it's really hard to go, hey, by the way, this is what I messed up on this week. Yeah. Like, no one's going to do that, right? Yeah. But having a step like this to get people used to just talking about feelings and mm. failures and what made me happy and what made me pissed off is a really good way to open that communication. And then the culture bit works because then people go, oh, it's okay for me to talk about this. Yeah. Um, so I guess that's a starting point. And then the second part of that from a strategy point of view is, you know, there's a step before you talk about a failure, that you're going through the failure, so it's more of the mindset of how do you cope with that? Yeah. Like we always talk about, oh yeah, talk about your failures, but what about the period of emotion you're feeling when you are failing? In it, yes. Or when you think you're failing. Yeah. That's huge, but we don't yeah. talk about that. Yeah. So I give them a couple of strategies to go, if you're feeling that, how can I take you out of that rabbit hole? Because it does become a rabbit hole where you, you have one negative thing, which leads to another negative yeah. thing, another negative thing. Yeah, you need to break the cycle. And then you need to break that yeah. cycle, so I'll yeah. give you strategies. And one story I share, I'll share it with you guys yeah. and the listeners here, yeah. where I remember starting my own business and it was my, one of my first few clients that I just picked up. And I was still working a part-time job, just as you know, when you start your own business yep. to sort of pay your mortgage and pay going. your bills. And I had this contract and it was like a 12-month contract. And did such a good job that at the six month mark, when I went into the client, he's like, oh, we don't really need you now. Like you've just done such a good job. And <laughs> we're done. We're done. And I, all I think of was, well, no, because I banked your next six month salary. <laughs> like I haven't got my next client yet. So there was this massive feeling of overwhelming fear. Mm. So I'm driving home and it was in North Sydney and I, I live in Hornsby. And the period of North Sydney to Hornsby, mm. I was ready to tell my partner that we need to sell our house. 
Yeah. Like that's how far down the rabbit hole I went. Yeah. So I come home and I'm like, oh, we need to talk about something. And he's, you know, it's like, yeah, what? And I'm like, I think we need to sell a house. It's like, what? Where did that come from? I just lost my client. <laughs> so I went into this like period of the feeling in the perceived failure. Yeah. And then I was like, hang on a minute, I've got to use my own technique on myself. To Obviously, we're not all perfect. Yeah. The technique is a series of six questions. Yeah. And at the end of it, uh, it worked out really well because one of the solutions was to get him to give me a testimonial and a referral because yeah. I'd done so well. I managed to get two clients out of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's teaching these guys how do we deal with that period in between. Yeah, because you're right. When you're in the thick of it, you don't, don't want to reflect and no, do all those things. No, you don't want to share your failure. <laughs> no. like, I don't want to bring anyone and go, hey, guess what? You don't want a business. <laughs> I've got a failure. Let me teach you. Yeah, right now. No, mine's yeah. like, I need to sell my house. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, it's interesting because the other thing that I've found is, um, and I was talking to some people about it a couple of months ago, was there is a movement to try and get more authenticity and more discussion of failure and more kind of reality around struggle. Um, but there's these various points in time. So there's kind of pre-failure, then there's kind of in the middle of failure, mm -hmm. then there's kind of this kind of post-failure bit yeah. where you haven't actually then succeeded or learnt from your failure, but you're not failing. Yeah. So you're, at least you're out of the storm. And then usually after that, at some point, and it could be immediately or it could be years later, you end up doing something great as a result of yeah. the failure that you yeah. had, right? And I guess the point of describing those phases is I think that we're getting to a point now where people are comfortable talking about, if you go to the other end of the spectrum, like you're saying, no one definitely wants to talk about failure while they're in the middle of failure, No, they right? don't. No. If you go right to the other end, talking about a failure that resulted in a subsequent success is, is good, right? For a whole bunch of reasons. Not only because it's something that's that's comfortable enough that the person could be really, really honest about the failure, but also you can then tell the arc of the lesson that was learned. So then, like you were saying, the CEO with their people can stop their people making the mistake yes. again. I'm also interested in this bit in the middle, which is after you're through the heat of the failure, but before it's necessarily turned to success, how do we also start sharing yes. those more? Yeah. You know, I failed because I did this, that, and the other. So make sure you also keep an eye out for that. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, like yeah. all wounds heal with time kind of concept. But it's a resilience piece, right? Yeah. So resilience is the ability to bounce back, right? And persevere. So I think the more resilient you are, the, the quicker, quicker you can, you can bounce back. Right, okay. So someone else that may have had my situation may not have gone home and shared that they need to sell their house and they may for a week not have slept, struggled, not have eaten properly oh, and, and gone through that and period. Actually, their curve might have been longer. And the curve, yeah. yeah. Okay. So it's that resilience piece. Yeah. So for me, I obviously I had that moment of, oh my God, like yeah. almost a bit of a panic of what am I going to do? Yeah. But then because I'm trained, I was able to pick up on that quite quickly and go, yeah. right, and I have the strategy to get out of that because yeah. it's being aware that yeah. you're going down that rabbit hole yeah. and then picking yourself up out of it. Yeah. Um, and I remember this one story actually, it's a, she's a successful, famous CEO and one of the questions she was asked is, what is the one thing you attribute your success to? And she said, it's my ability to take risks. And she goes, but I only have that because as a kid growing up, one of her routines with her dad over the dinner table, every day for years, he'd be like, right, what are the three things you, you messed up on? 
and he would ask her that every single day throughout her young adulthood life yeah and then she'd have to share uh and he'd high five each of those failures yeah and she said it was it's really weird but as a businesswoman and as a ceo I was able to take more calculated risks because I knew that I could just high five someone at the end of it. Yeah. It's okay. Yeah, it's like okay. Yeah. You, the world's not going to end. Yeah. You, you know, so what? You're going to learn from it. But she was really resilient, and she says honestly, she goes, I get asked all the time, what's my key to success? Yeah. But it's that piece to be able to bounce back quite quickly yeah. and not wallow in that thing. And then the other downside is that if you're in that period of wallowing or overwhelm or feeling anxious you tend to make worse decisions yes and then they accumulate yeah, yeah. and then you're in that you suddenly end a race to the bottom yeah because i remember when i was um on i was doing some presentation training a long long time ago and it's that visceral reaction kind of concept um the guy came into the front of the front of the room it was actually paul um who we met this morning and he said he said right okay this is the first day of our three-day presentation training um, what we're going to do, just to set a nice baseline, we're going to get all of you to do a presentation this morning. But before we do that, um, just while I'm setting up in the back, you just think about your favourite song, and in about five minutes, I'm going to get you all to stand up and sing the first line of your favourite song. And then he went yeah. to the back of the room five minutes and started doing it. And then he came back to the front and he said, I was just joking, I'm not going to do that. But can you see what reaction you had? Like, yes. did your palms go sweaty? Yeah. Or did the hair stand up on the back of your yeah. neck? Or yeah. did your heart start pumping? Like, because I suddenly put you in this risky situation. Yeah. yeah. And it's something that I still remember to this day because I think that to your point around this self-awareness, mm. quite often those reactions you don't notice. Mm. But if you're conscious of them, you'll feel them. You're like, yeah. you'll feel your palms go sweaty you or your yeah. heart rate. Like there, link, there's a physical reaction. Link, yeah, right? so you're able to then link the emotion. You're able to name the emotion, yeah. first of all, because our vocabulary for emotions is shocking. terrible. <laughs> yeah, actually, another story is I remember when I train leaders, the first exercise I do, and they all kill me for it, is for the first four weeks, eight times a day, they're going to write what they feel. Oh, and yeah, they okay. really, really struggle with it. Great. And, yeah. Great. And they come up Great. with the same hangry. <laughs> they come up with the same emotions. And then after four weeks, and they have to do it. And like after four weeks, they learn more of the emotions wheel and what the words yeah, mean. They go, okay. oh my God, like there's actually there's a whole spectrum whole here. Spectrum. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, so you're able to then name the emotion. But then yeah. the second part is that you're able to physically connect a feeling in your body to that emotion. Yeah. And that's when you're high EQ. But for me, if you say to me, what's, what's the biggest learning for EQ? Honestly, to this day, I guess what's helped me the most is, the only way I can explain it is that your core is solid and you're calm. So I feel that no matter what comes my way, yes, I'll be a bit of a panic or fear or anxiety, whatever you want to call it. But it's like at the base level, I'm quite yeah. flat. Like I'm quite, uh, what's the word? Like it's like an ocean, right? Like it's yes. still calm. Yeah. And the waves are going to come, that's yeah. cool. But I, I don't feel yeah. that, oh my God, I'm just going to, you know, tumble. Well, I, I really like that ocean metaphor. Because even if you think about the depth of that ocean, right? Even if it's choppy on the top, there's still not a little movement down yeah. the bottom, right? And the winds can come and go. Yeah, it's really interesting. I mean, I think the thing that stands out for me the most is I, well, two, two awesome learnings. That one about EQ being about yourself first mm. and then about others is, yeah. is amazing. Like. Um, so simple but really insightful um, and the other one is the training aspect like I think I think it's really interesting and important for people to recognize that there is a certain level of training and strategies and techniques that you can use to get better at it yeah 
Like I think it, it's too easy for people to put it down to fit and yeah. just say, sorry, it just doesn't fit. Correct. So therefore that person doesn't fit in our culture because of these symptomatic problems, not these root cause problems. And so therefore we're going to put it all down to cultural fit, which just for whatever reason appears to be a reasonable excuse and therefore they're gone and that's the easy way to do it. Whereas um, understanding that there are ways that you can learn techniques and, and get better at the self-awareness and the EQ piece actually gives some opportunity to keep yeah. some of those people in the mix. I'll more. share a technique actually that might help people and it's a quick technique. But um, one of the things as well that EQ enables you to do is Everyone has an inner critic, right? Like we all mm. have an inner critic. That is that voice inside of our head that tells us we're not good enough for certain things. EQ lets you hear your inner critic a lot quicker yeah. and lets, lets you turn the inner critic into an inner coach. Yeah. So that's what EQ lets you do. Yeah. So it lets you go, okay, my voice is saying, you know, I'm not good at this or I'm not a good people person, but hey, I'm actually self-aware so I can hear that voice and I can turn that into an inner coach. Yeah. And then there's something called the courtroom methodology and being a lawyer, I've got to, got to yeah. talk about that. Right? Yeah, yeah. And what they say around the courtroom methodology is as a person, you play the role of judge in your head, mm. you play the role of defender and you play the role of the prosecutor. Mm. So let's say you've gone through something, you'll play the role of the judge and you'll go, I'm going to execute you or I'm going to yeah. put you in jail for 30 days because of that mistake. And then the defender comes up and goes, oh yeah, but you know what, you weren't trained, you didn't know how to do that. Yeah. And then the prosecutor comes going, well, you should have known because yeah. you're a leader. Yeah. So you play this courtroom scenario in your head and we do it more often than we realize. Yeah. Sometimes when we're at home, when we're driving, before we go to bed. And what EQ does is it lets you understand that don't walk into the courtroom. Yes. Just stay outside, play it around in your head for a certain amount of time because it's healthy to have it in a critic. Yeah. But don't let it drag out into a massive court case. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's really interesting. I mean, I think because we do, right? If you can think absolutely. about a mistake you may have made. So uh, the thing that the you thing that those three roles. jumps out the most for me is um, those kind of situations with my kids. Yes. So when I'm and and I think it's probably that jumps out a lot because it's such an emotional activity, mm -hmm. right? But whenever I do anything with my kids and either it just didn't feel right or I got angry when I shouldn't have or I let them get away with something that I shouldn't have or I didn't, you know, whatever, didn't feel like I was the best parent I could be at the time, definitely that courtroom <laughs> happens all the time. And you're right, it can go on for a long time. Like I can Absolutely. fall asleep worrying about yes. that stuff because it's just constantly going on. The worst on thing is, is you will swap those roles. Yeah. Again and again and again. Yeah. Um, with different prosecutor and defender arguments. Yeah, yeah. So EQ just makes you go, right, I'm not going to do that, I'm not yeah. going to entertain that. Yeah, um, I'll observe for a bit. And observe then I'll for a bit, exactly. Yeah. Reflect on it yeah. and then move on. Yeah, yeah, no, that's fantastic. Awesome. Well, thank you very much for your time. Thank you. Um, it was really great to have thank you here. You. And I think there's definitely some things there that I'm going to take away to put into practice in, in my businesses. Um, but, um, but thank you very much for sharing thank with you. us. I appreciate it.